0: You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Amen. You can be seated. And I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm, I'm speaking today on practical points on, on parenting because I think a lot of times when you're when you're preaching a subject like this, you uh if you're not careful, you forget just sometimes people just need some things to hang their hat on. And that's what I that's what I want to do. I I, I couldn't help but think about as we were worshiping together, I was thinking about Jesus when he was coming in. Uh, on that on that young donkey that had never been ridden before, coming into Jerusalem. If you remember, the crowds were beginning to just we, we celebrate Palm Sunday. They were just laying those things out before the Lord. Uh, it was a it was a prophetic messianic prophecy out of Zechariah. He was coming into Jerusalem, and and the people were just worshiping and shouting. And if you remember, the Pharisees they came up and they t- told Jesus. They said, "You have to quiet down these people." I really believe at this point Jesus broke out in a big old grin. I think that he smiled, his eyes twinkled. He said, listen, if you try to stop them right now, the rocks will begin to cry out and worship. What a powerful, powerful statement. When Mary and Joseph were raising Jesus, they would often look into the cradle and they would say these words, Shemash Israel. Right. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Not mama, not daddy, but Shemash, shemash Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, God, he is the Lord, he is one. We're talking today about parenting, what it means to be a good parent parent. And I want you to take your Bibles looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, because we've said this, that Moses is getting ready to send these people into the promised land. He's not going to be able to go with them. And we said this about parenting, and parents, this is important. The reason you and I must impress into the lives of our children as they're young, when they're impressionable, why we must impress in those, into their lives those spiritual principles when we are able to do so. Remember, we said this the very first week of this series, do not delay, do not delegate, and do not be discouraged. Okay, But you and I have a narrow opportunity, a narrow window, and we said this, that Moses was preparing these people much like a parent, and he's getting ready to send them into a place that he cannot go. Parent, understand this, that you as a parent are preparing your children for a time and a place that you will not be able to go with them. Do you understand that? If you do, say amen. Because that's critical. Number 2, you and I as parents are in the process of putting those boundaries, those principles into the very heart, into the very lives of our children. Now I want you to look at Luke, I want you to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 at verse 7. Well, let's pick up at verse 4. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, this is the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. These, if you don't believe those were impressed into the lives of the life even of Jesus, remember when he was asked what the greatest commandment was. He answered with those words. Verse 6, these commandments that I give you today are to be... What does that say, parent? Underline that. What does it say? It is to be upon your hearts. In verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now this is critical. In fact, let's take a moment and let's bathe it in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray right now that the power of your Holy Spirit would move into every single heart of every parent in this room, every potential parent. There are young couples that are preparing, getting ready to be married. Lord, you, listen, you already, Lord, know their children. You know whether they're boys. You know whether they're girls. You know their names. You see the beginning of their life from the first breath to the very last. I pray for expectant parents. I pray for new parents such as Eric and Sarah who this past week were given a very beautiful little girl named Caroline. We pray that you would encourage them and strengthen them. Now, Lord, may our hearts be sensitive to what you want to say to us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, parent number one, you are preparing. Now, stay with me. First of all, you're preparing your children for a place and a time that you're not going to be able to go. That's what you and I are doing. Number two, you're taking biblical principles, the principles of God's Word, and you are, in essence, impressing into their lives. Now, we said this, parent, that every child needs what? Boundaries. Every child needs boundaries. In other words, when you're raising children, you're setting up boundaries, and those boundaries need to be enforced. A boundary that is not enforced is of no use at all. So you are putting up boundaries in the life of your children. Now children, hear me, are going to what? They're going to test those boundaries. They're going to see if you mean business. Now parent, eventually there comes a time in your life when you have to open up those boundaries and they're going to go free. And you remember we said this, a lot of kids get to college and they look like Mel Gibson in Braveheart in that moment when he's dying and he cries, Freedom! And so often in college, kids go off the wrong path. They they get away. Because why? Because hear me, the standards, the principles, those boundaries have not been put into their heart. You see, parent, those boundaries that you're putting around your child, listen, eventually have to go in your child. Does that make sense? Nod your head if that makes sense. In fact, if you look here, it's interesting that when, when Moses is writing this, he says to, he says to parents, he says, these commandments that I give you today are to beware in the life of the parent. They're to be upon the heart of the parent. And then verse 7, he says, impress them on your children. He uses here a Hebrew word, levav. This, this, this picture here the heart, the soul, the mind, the conscience the emotions, the passions. He said you are to take these things and impress them into the levab, into the heart. And he uses the word here, teach diligently, it's shenan. It's this Hebrew word, this idea, it means to sharpen, to wet, to teach. But a better translation here in the Hebrew is the idea of, listen to this parent, Because this is, to me, an eye-opener. It means to pierce your child's heart with truth. It means to impress. That word shenan, it means to impress, to teach diligently. And you cannot impress something into the life of your child if it is not impressed into your heart. You see, we impress into the children, and our children's hearts, what's impressed in our own. And so Moses is saying to these people, he's saying, "Listen, you can't impress into their lives what is not impressed into yours. And it's shenan, it's Hebrew, it's this picture of piercing. Truth hurts. Holiness hurts." The spiritual principles of God's Word sometimes hurts as we are impressing them into the life of our children. Hear me again. I've been a missionary in Africa. I've been a missionary in England. I've been a chaplain in the U.S. Army. I've pastored in ministry over 30 years. The most difficult task God ever gave me was calling me to be a dad. There's nothing easy about this thing of being a parent. Now let me give you some practical things today because some of you may be sitting here and we've gotten some response where people have just simply said or people have asked me, said, Brother Jeff, first of all, I've got a child that's out of control. Okay. Now I'm talking about any age here. If you've got a child that's out of control, let me speak to you for a minute. Number one, if you've got a child that's out of control, young or old, they may be a small child, first of all, admit you're wrong. You see, that's critical in the life of raising children. Sometimes we need to look at our children and we just simply need to say to them, I am sorry. It may be this. You may look at them and say, you know, I tended to give you whatever, whenever. I just kind of gave you your way. I tended to treat you as a surrogate parent over your siblings. I gave you unchecked authority. I tended to let you get away with a lot. I tended to let you grow up too quickly. I tended to let you run loose. I tended to parent out of fear. You see, sometimes we have to say to our children, even to a small child, we have to get down on their level and say, listen, I've messed up and I want to ask you to forgive me. I've not made the boundaries very clear. My daughter today, my oldest who is a dentist, One day was backing out of the driveway, getting ready to go with her friends. I walked out to the car. She rolled down the window. She's backing the car up the driveway. I'm walking along with the car. Where are you going? Who are you going with? How long are you going to be gone? When are you going to be back? Who's driving? What car are you going into? And I mean, we're going up the driveway. Finally, she looked. She stopped. She put the car in park. Tears began to come into her eyes. And I thought that I had offended her. I thought I had hurt her. She's a college student. And she began to weep and to cry. And she looked at me and said, Dad, I love you so much. Thank you for caring. You see, parent, boundaries are critical in the life of our children. And sometimes if we have a child that's out of control, number one, we just admit that we're wrong. Number two, we ask for forgiveness. There's nothing wrong with admitting as a parent that you need forgiveness. Number three, we begin new beginnings. Do you realize that, parent? No matter, you may have a grown son or daughter that is living in rebellion against everything spiritually that you've taught them. They may be living a life totally out of the will of God. There's nothing wrong with you saying, hey, let's go eat. And sitting down as to, and looking across the table at a grown child and saying, I messed up, made some mistakes, and I want to ask you to forgive me. And wait until they do. And then make new beginnings. Communicate goals, objectives, what you hope to achieve. If you, don't, if you have loose or non-existent boundaries, rein them in. Set up some boundaries in the life of your child. Clearly communicate them. Agree upon them. Listen, there's nothing wrong with getting there with a first grader and saying, listen, I've let you run free. You've just kind of taken advantage of us. You kind of do what you want to do whenever you want to do it. Hey, and I'd do the same thing if I was you. But no more. Bedtime is 8:30. Do you understand that? Nod your head. Some adults are going. <laughs> You're setting a boundary. You're saying you can't run the household. Mom and dad need time. We need time to fellowship. We need time to spend time together. The strength of this marriage is your security. You're ruining that. We can't let you do that anymore. You'll be in bed by 8.30 and you will not get up. Because when you get up, we move it back to 8 o'clock. And when you get up the next day, we move it back to 7.30 and son, I'll have you going to bed when you get off the bus. I'll walk out there with your pajamas and meet the bus and say, I'm sorry, he's got to go straight to bed. You see, because why? Because listen, when you parents set up those boundaries, children are instinctively going to test those boundaries. If you give a second boundary, which means a second chance, a second chance means that, hey, these boundaries don't mean anything, we're going to give you another chance here. If you give them a third chance, now they have control of your boundaries. If they, if they find out that they can stay up till 9.30 because you're going to give them a second third chance, then guess what bedtime is? Bedtime is what? It's 9.30, it's not 8.30. It's the time they've determined to go to bed, not the time you've determined to go to bed. You see, this is critical. So if you've got a child that literally is out of control, it's admitting that you're wrong, it's apologizing, it's asking for forgiveness, and it's setting up, communicating new goals, new boundaries, curfews. Monday through Thursday, let me tell you, we've raised four kids Monday through Thursday school nights can't go on. Friday, Saturday, hey, we'll give you a little lead way. Eleven thirty. Eleven thirty. Because listen to how we raised our kids. Nothing good happens after midnight. You ever notice that? You ever notice all the crimes take place after midnight? Children ought to be in as long as they're in the house. And some of you in this room, you need a backbone. In fact, we're going to take up an offering at the end. We're going to give give a surgery so you can get a backbone. Some of you have no backbone at all. Your children control your life. And listen to me, I want parents of, of, of grown children. You know what the problem is? Some of you parents who have grown children, your children are still controlling your life. They still control your life. They still make all the decisions. Listen, anyone who stays in our house goes to church. That's a good rule. Anyone who stays in our, church, in our house goes to church. And there's some behavior that's just not tolerated, doesn't matter how old you are. You see, parent, you're laying down those boundaries, those boundaries, and those boundaries need to be respected no matter how old your children are. Hopefully you have impressed them so much so that they don't even test them. And let me say again, I spoke last week about marital affairs. An affair will destroy everything that I'm teaching about a parent about parenting, everything. But another thing, hypocrisy will destroy everything that I'm teaching about parenting. Do you understand that, parent? If you are living a double standard, then it's just a matter of time before your home will fall apart. Now you have to understand, and I have to, all of us as parents have to understand, if there's a level of hypocrisy in your life, then you need to admit it, you need not to excuse it, But take responsibility for it. So number one, admit it. Number two, take responsibility for it. Number three, make yourself accountable. There are men in this room that are battling in the area of pornography. Let me tell you how to handle that. Make your wife your accountability partner. That'll settle it real quick. The Bible says make no provision for the flesh. So you may have to cut off the internet. You may have to take your laptop and give it to your wife every evening. Or you may have to put the computer system in the middle of a major traffic area of your home. But you need to keep a level of accountability. What you're saying, Dad, listen. You're saying, listen, I, if, if I'm hypocritical in an area, then I need to admit that. I need to ask for forgiveness. And I need to make myself accountable to my family because you're teaching them, even in that, a spiritual principle. Number four, your peers, your child's peers. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 ought to be hung up on every refrigerator in every home of every parent. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33 says this, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Let me read that again. Listen to it. Do not be misled, bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 13:22 Proverbs 13:20 says, "He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm." Parent peers, okay, you are listen, mom, dad. You're you're raising your children, you're teaching them boundaries. You in in those boundaries you give, a, you give a measure of freedom. They, they are even given a, a measure of input. If they cross out, go out of those boundaries, then there's a disciplinary process. They understand that, okay? For instance, going back to 8.30 bedtime, you go to be, you're in bed by 8.30, okay? So about 8 15, brush your teeth, get ready for bed. 8.30, you're in bed. If you're not in bed by 8.30... How much past 8.30? Well, let's say a minute. If you're late, if you go past 8.30, then tomorrow night you go to bed at 8 o'clock. You see, you're not only giving boundaries, parent, you're also giving a disciplinary, disciplinary process, and you're also saying to your child, do you understand that nod your head? And they're nodding their head. So we're in agreement here. Okay? This is critical to effective parenting. Because sooner or later you want to move beyond this. You want to take these standard, these boundaries, and you want to impress it into their life, so that one day, because they're off at college, you're not there calling them, saying, "Hey, you in? You in yet? You in the dorm yet?" That looks kind of silly. If you have to call your college-age kid to find out whether they're in, in the dorm, find out who their friends are, find out if they're drinking, find out if they're messing with drugs, find out if they're living a sexually promiscuous life, if you have to slip up there and check on them all the time, then, my friend, we have a problem that goes all the way back when they were a child when those standards, those principles should have been impressed into their lives. The college kid is going, hey, I need to, be, I need to get on back to the dorm. I've got to get in bed because I've got to get up and go to class in the morning. they are responsible because you have impressed into their life principles that now they'll carry on through the rest of their life this is critical but with all of that said peers can corrupt they can affect it so you as a parent need to know who your kids friends are know who they are Those peers have great influence into your parenting process. Here you are, you're trying to impress into the lives of your children spiritual principles, but they have peers, they have friends who their parents don't give a jack squat about it. Their parents have no standards. They have no boundaries. They don't care nothing about spiritual things. Parent, you need to know who your children's friends are. And stay with me here. What is critical is not only knowing who they are, not only knowing where they are, where they live, but being willing to say no to some friendships. Some people say, well, my child is different. My child is more mature. My child can handle it. Let me read again. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled, parent. Bad company corrupts good character. Hear me, mom and dad. You need to monitor all friendships. You need to motivate some friendships, you need to monitor other friendships, and you need to put a moratorium on some friendships. You need to say, This friendship is over. Listen, even here, you may have to say that even within the body of the church. We cannot leave our children, whether it be to school, whether it be to neighbors, whether it be to anybody. We should be involved in their lives. Now, I know I need to close in a moment, but stay with me. Number five, involve them in your ministry. You know, a lot of times people will ask, well, how come your kids are still involved in ministry? And look, we're not perfect. We made mistakes. We've gone through some dark, dark times in our life. But I can tell you this much. I want you to listen to your pastor for a moment. I'm not a hypocrite. My kids know everything there is to know about me. There's no skeleton in the closet. There's nothing hidden. My kids know know some of the most difficult things that I've ever, ever had to share. I've sat down with my sons and sat across a fire and shared things that broke my heart to tell them. My kids know everything there is to know about me. In fact, I'll say this. If I die and somebody comes up with some bit of slander, Ledge, Jeffrey, Emily, and Amy will know that person is a liar because they know every bit of the truth about their dad. There's no hypocrisy. Now, parent, I want you to understand something. That is critical. Your children need to have that kind of transparency between you and them. So there should be no surprises. And this requires, if you and I are to involve our children in ministry, we need to be brutally honest. We often told our children this, the church is not perfect. As as a pastor and wife, we were not running back into the bedroom, hiding back there talking about problems in the church. We didn't do that we realized that we needed to be brutally honest with our children and teach our children that the church is not perfect, and people are not either. I remember dealing with a race issue, at a, and I had gone. I had been asked to speak at a First Baptist church in Louisiana, and the pastor told me not to bring up the race issue because of this and that and because of my reputation. I had just come back from Africa. He told me not to bring up the race issue. While my kids and and Sheila and I are sitting in this First Baptist Church in Louisiana waiting for me to speak, all of a sudden a man comes up, talks to another man, and begins to just go give down the road on the race issue. I mean, this guy was a racist. Finally, at a point my kids looked at me, this man was trying to intimidate me into silence before I went to the pulpit. I looked at my kids and I said, munuano That munuano Anu, Ari, um, I basically said, that man there, he is stupid. And I said it in the language of the Zimbabwean people. And I knew that my kids understood that I was saying, they knew what Nyarata Maputsa meant. Maputsa meant stupid. And I said, Munu anu. I said, uh, Munu Anu. Ari Maputsa. That man is a stupid man. And then I got him preached. And that night, the leadership of that church who were ready to fire the pastor that morning, that night came with the pastor and apologized to this missionary. Parent, hear me. The church is not perfect. You need to raise your children. Be honest with them. There are things in this church that, listen, and I know I need to close, but my kids have watched Sheila and I go through great suffering here at Southside. It's not been easy. Multitudes have abandoned this church. We've been lied about. We've been misrepresented. But they've seen their mom and dad consistently give strong leadership in what George Barna calls an impossible situation. We have always been honest with our children about the church and we refuse to be bitter about it. That word, that Greek word, picros, sticky anger, we refuse to be bitter. Our children understood the mission of the church and our call. It was about kingdom building. It's about spiritual warfare. It's about territorial conquest. We basically were trying to say to our children, You are involved in a war for the souls of men and for territorial conquest. And when you get up in the morning, hell ought to tremble. And today I'll say this my kids are my heroes. They watched their parents stand through many a storm and stood with us. And I thank God every day for each one of them. Why? Because we constantly communicated our call, our mission, our understanding of the church. We taught our children and we sought to teach them that ministry, even when they were in difficult places, that we would seek to minister to them if they would just stay alongside of us. we couldn't protect our children from everything we protected them from things that we knew that we needed to this church this church is a dangerous place parent when you bring children here you need to bathe them in prayer and discipleship you must teach them you must embed into their life and press into their life the standards the principles So that when they get in difficult places, whether it be in this church, whether it be in a youth ministry, whether it be in a Wednesday night children's ministry, whether it be down there under the bridge ministering to the homeless, wherever it may be, parent, you have so impressed the standard and spiritual principles into their life that you don't have to worry about them falling. You cannot, listen mom and dad, you cannot protect your children from the world. If you do, you will alienate them. You've got to guide them through the world while you have that opportunity, impressing into their lives, teaching them those spiritual principles, exposing them sometimes. And it's not easy. This is a great church to do that. Uh, I, I need to close, but. You know. Um... We tried to teach our kids to treat people with love and respect. It wasn't us and them. Ledge is my hero. Because I can remember a time when a homeless woman was up under the bridge down here and she was drinking. She had tried to get her life in order, but she couldn't. We had, given, we had taken our kids that night on a Friday night down there to tell them, to show them the cost of alcohol. When we pulled up there and we just said, you see that, that's where, that's where beer and alcohol, that is where, that's where drugs, that is where it'll take you. That's where it will take you. One of the drunk women was a woman that I had carried to Morrison Heights when I preached there to introduce her to Morrison Heights and to the homeless ministry. Finally, there came that point. Sheila said, I can't take it anymore. She got out, went, up, went over there and began to talk to them, and then Ledge and Jeffrey got out. Linda just began to be embarrassed. Began, she's dead now. She was killed on the streets. our enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I'll never forget this scene because there came a point that Linda was embarrassed and Ledge reached down and picked her up and he hugged her. And even back then he was a big old boy, high school kid. He just reached down and hugged her. And he told her, he said, Linda, Jesus loves you anyway. And she just wept. Ledge, I'd like to believe that that gesture of love to a woman at that point who felt unlovable may have resulted in Linda being in heaven today. I carried Jeffrey to a homeless man that was dying of cancer. He was staying in a in a rat hole over here in West Jackson. He found that's where he had gotten a place for him to die in. His name was Clyde. I never forget Jeffrey and I carried some some kind of nutrient type drink to him. Ensure I think. We were sitting there and Clyde was sitting up on the side of the bed and he was smoking a cigarette. And he looked at Jeffrey and. He was taking drags off that cigarette. He was dying of lung cancer. You'd hear him. he just... He'd pull that cigarette in and then he'd just cough. and You'd hear them lungs shutting down. He looked at Jeffrey and he said, Son, he said, Never pick these up. He's dead. Don, a homeless man, convicted of child pornography, Spent six years in prison. Put us in the news a couple of times. At least one time he put us in the news because we were ministering to Don when the people in this city said, you need to get rid of these people. What are you allowing these people to be around your church? But if I remember this little girl right here and this family right here loved Don ministered to Don. Don hung himself on the back of that house. Because Don said, Brother Jeff, I just don't think I can live anymore. Oh, you can you can hide your children. You can hey carry them out to the suburbs and pack them away somewhere and hide. Or you can do like Princess Di. You know what Princess Di would do with William and Harry? Queen, Charles, none of them knew it. They said, when we lived in England, we were told this. Said Princess Di would take those two boys at night and she'd carry them out in the roughest areas of London and she'd remind them what life was like away from the palace. And I believe to this day it beats in the heart of a William. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you, dear Lord, and we ask you, dear Lord, to give us guidance. Lord, so often we say these are difficult times to be a parent, but Lord, they were difficult for Moses' parents, hamram and Jochebed. They were difficult. They were difficult, dear Lord, for all of those people that were trying to raise children. I think of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I think about Jesus and John the Baptist. and think about all of the men and women who were trying to raise a family. Lord, these are not easy times to raise kids. But I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to impress into the lives of our children, to impress diligently, to teach diligently. That, dear Lord, that our children's lives would be pierced with truth. And that, dear Lord, they would grow to be great men and women of God. We don't know, dear Lord, there are parents in this room that are holding children right now. Met a dad a moment ago in the back, back there, holding a little girl, so proud of her. Just rub that little girl's head. I have no idea what she will be. She may be the President of the United States. She may be a great missionary. She may be a great woman that will be used by you to turn a nation back to God. She may be the mother of a son or a daughter who may one day introduce into the world the cure for cancer. We don't know what the future holds when we hold our children, but may we understand that you hold the future. And we need to lean on you and trust you and, and dear Lord to teach diligently those principles that will pierce the hearts of our children so that they will be great men and women of God. Lord, I pray for parents that need to apologize. They need to say to a son or daughter, maybe a young son or daughter, maybe a child, maybe a grown son or daughter, I'm sorry. I made some mistakes. But I want to ask you to forgive me and I want us to start all over again. Please give me another chance. I pray, dear Lord, you understand what it is to be a parent. Adam and Eve, one son killed the other. Eli, Samuel, family, sons that failed them. David, who had Absalom. Dear Lord, there are men and women in Scripture who probably often their hearts were breaking as they were trying to raise their own families. And then, Lord, I look to you. I see your family. I'm one of your children. You've set those boundaries for me. You love me. And, Lord, I've crossed those boundaries so many times. In fact, dear Lord, when sin held me captive, you, dear Lord, put on the flesh of man, as the Africans say, you put on the flesh of man, you stepped into your creation. You took care of this virus called sin. You paid the penalty. And you said, Jeff, that's the supreme act of love. I love you, son. And Lord, I've received you into my heart. I know I'm your child today, your son. I thank you, dear Lord, that you love me unconditionally. And I pray, dear Lord, today that parents would begin to love their children unconditionally. That no matter what they do, I've told my children so many times, you may disappoint me, you may hurt me, you may cause me to go to my grave early, but I will never, 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 never quit loving you. I'll never quit loving you. I'll love you as long as I have breath in my body. Because love never fails. May you, dear Lord, raise up men and women that will love their children unconditionally. God, speak to us today. Turn fathers' hearts to their children, as Malachi said. Create in us the kind of heart you'd have us to have. Speak to hearts today. Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who's not saved, Dear Lord, may they come today, speak to one of these counselors, inviting Jesus to come into their heart. God, if you need a parent to come to this altar and spend a moment in prayer, whatever it may be, lead us today. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.